0: For God so loved the world. John three sixteen. What is more? more what more is there to say about John three 16? i We've heard already. This is probably the most single famous verse in all of Scripture. It can be found as here plastered on signs at sporting events. Um, it can be found on the bottom of In and Out Cups. It is the most searched for verse on BibleGateway.com I learned this week. And uh, not surprisingly, Tim Tebow has jumped on the bandwagon. And why? Well, because it would seem that if you have one second of airtime and you need to make the biggest impact possible This verse would seem to encapsulate the whole gospel as simply as as possible. Of course, we might question the effectiveness of the strategy. I imagine there are many of you that do, but we also might wonder, is it that simple? Now, when we look at the bigger context of this passage, not just the following verses, but also the previous verses as well, we can see that the traditional treatments miss one important point of this context. And that is, as I'm sure you all have been thinking, obviously it misses poisonous snakes. Stay with me, I promise we'll get to that. Often translations render this verse God so loved the world. That's the translation we have in our CEB translation for today. But that so doesn't mean like a degree of affection. I think this is often how we we understand it, that God loved the world so, so, so much. That's actually not what that word means there. Uh, Rather, it's a comparison. God loved the world just so in this way. God loved the world this way, in this manner. In what way? Well, it seems to be pointing back to verses 14 and 15. How does God show uh, her love to the world? By gifting to us her only son, that he might be lifted up like Moses lifted up a bronze statue of a poisonous snake. I can see this is probably all clear for you now. Now it all makes sense. God's love is compared to this event, this weird, bizarre thing that we read in Numbers 21 first. God's love is compared to this event, but how does that clarify anything? Well, before we answer that, I wanna take a small but related detour. Japanese missionary and theologian, Kasuke Kuyama, when he reflected on the cross, contended that we should not consider the cross a bridge, but rather an encounter. And this will be meaningful for what we're talking about today. The cross is not a bridge, but an encounter. When I was in high school and early college, I worked at a quite conservative Christian boys camp. As part of our training, we were to learn techniques for leading kids to Christ. And inside our, we had a training manual for this. And inside our training manual, right near the verses that we had to memorize from the Romans Road, some of you may know this, was a diagram that looks something like what is on your screen now. This is the gospel. Simple. Made simple. We had sin. God needed payment. Jesus paid By painful execution through God's love, we get to go to heaven. The cross is a bridge. Jesus's death is a transaction. We flee from danger. Amen. Eternal life. But what if it's not that simple? These are the kind of thoughts I think. What if I think God's justice doesn't work like that? What if that justice makes no sense to me? And what if I don't think that that's the portrait of Jesus that we have here in our passage? Kosuke Kuyama notes how this bridge notion that we talked about is one often of escape. How are we to get from this world to the next world? That's our concern. However, he writes, strangely, the New Testament does not impress us with the symbolism of the bridge. Jesus Christ is not a bridge from this world to that world upon which we safely walk over the danger. The central symbol of the Christian faith, the cross, does not give us an image of a bridge. It gives us instead the feeling of confrontation, of encounter, conflict. It is the point where people meet. It is an image of intersection. It points to the place that we must stop. And why stop? Because it is here that love is expressed. So now back to our main story. But what about these snakes? I hope these images aren't causing anxiety in anyone. It might for me. This thing in Numbers 21 is bizarre. Modern commentators and ancient rabbis alike struggle to figure out exactly what is going on here. Nevertheless, I do think this imagery helps us to understand what Jesus says in John 3. These snakes do not come out of nowhere. This story, for a little context, is the final story of a series of stories chronicling uh, Israelites grumbling and complaining about their circumstances. While wandering in the wilderness. I can't say that I blame them. But it is unclear geographically. Um, where they are at this point. So they've traveled from Egypt. And they may be traveling towards Moab. They may be close. And it's possible that they are now located on the plain of araha So on the plain of Araha. Though if they have it is quite possible that this is the first documented historical occurrence of snakes on a plane. Guys I worked really hard for that one, I need some laughs, thank you. So this is where we find the Israelites and here they complain about the food they wish they were back in bondage in Egypt. on this road, that this story feels like a climax. And in a strange turn of events, Numbers tells us that God finally sends poisonous snakes. Bizarre. At the time snakes, um, at the time uh, in ancient Near East, snakes could stand for many different, lots of symbolism associated with snakes. Evil and chaos, on the one hand, life and fertility on the other. The role of snakes was particularly prominent in Egypt, where they wanted to return, where the poisonous cobra was among other things, a a symbol of supreme authority and Pharaoh's power. Here we have a graphic object lesson. These snakes represent the people's oppression. The oppression that they wish to return to and a poison that has already infected them. It is an oppression that they have idealized remembered falsely and yet strangely the snake becomes both the image of their oppression and their healing. Moses is told to go to a high place and to lift up on a pole a bronze representation of this of these serpents. And in order to be healed, they must look at it in all honesty, in clear and opened eyes. They must confront their oppression in truth and not in the lies that have poisoned them. Not in their false idealization of what they want to return to. They must look in truth and faithfulness. And in this is, somewhat strangely, maybe to our ears, God's mercy. That they will not return to this oppression, but in God. Find life. The snake on the pole, shining a bronze reflective light from the hilltop, is not a bridge but an encounter. It is not a bridge but an encounter. A meeting place where faithfulness is found and formed. Here they are not simply healed, but they encounter their own oppression and the faithfulness of God. Healing does not come in averting one's eyes but confronting what is destroying us be they poisonous snakes or Egypt's oppression greed and selfishness or American militarism for John Jesus too is lifted up as an encounter as a light a revelation of what is destroying them and at the same time of the love faithfulness and mercy of God Though this metaphor may certainly be inexhaustible and have much more uh, deep meaning, I want to consider simply these two angles. One, the cross reveals us. Crucifixion is designed to be a humiliating and public reality. Crosses were placed in public spaces on hills and on the sides of roads as if to say, look here, don't avert your eyes. See what happens when you dare oppose our power. But if we come to the lifted up Jesus in faithfulness, as John says, if we approach eyes open that this is God's son on the cross, the cross reveals something else entirely. Publicly, before all, it puts on display the violence and the injustice of the powers that be. It puts on display their hostility to God and to God's kingdom. Where Rome declares the Roman peace, where Rome declares the virtues of Roman justice, the cross unmasks this lie as a pub, in public as a charade. Like the snake in the wilderness, the cross lifted up on that public hill is a place of revelation, a light of encounter, as we look with open eyes on that which is destroying us and oppressing us. To come in faith is to come and confront, to encounter the conflict, not to look away, but to be willing to have one's eyes open. Now, there are lots of analogs to this. There's lots of ways we can look at this. The death of George Floyd was not a bridge, not an escape. It was an encounter. Americans opened their eyes to these public images and video. And it exposed the violence that surrounded us for those who could not see it. Police brutality and the racism of the incarceration and punishment system for many. It undid the stories that they tell themselves about our police state. That is, for one, an encounter. When we take communion, we declare that we proclaim Jesus's death until he returns. That is a line in the traditional communion form uh, that we have gotten from the earliest church. We declare Jesus' death until he returns, not simply to glory in death or some punitive transaction, but because that death unmasks the injustice of a world that calls itself just, and that we will not forget it. That death publicly shames the powers and principalities. And the only way to find healing is to look at that and to understand it and acknowledge it, not to paper over it, not to travel over it on our bridge. It reveals things about us as well, knowing that this is the mercy of God. This is how God loves us, by laying bare and bringing us into God's love and faithfulness, into belonging with her son. On the the other hand, too, and at the same time, then the cross reveals God's love. I wonder what our response might be to complete and utter rejection from our people that we have put our covenant faithfulness into. To crucifixion. If we were able to come back from it, if we were able to come back from crucifixion, like some superhero back from the dead, a phoenix to our Jean Grey, X-Men people, Anybody? No. Well, in that situation, what would you imagine the response would be? Would it be complete and utter annihilation of the bad guys, of all of those responsible? And so, as you would expect, when God lifts Jesus up in resurrection, the other lifting up, when God lifts Jesus up in resurrection, he comes to exact revenge, retribution. But no, that is not the story, is it? The cross and the resurrection, that is where Jesus is lifted up, is a place of meeting God's love and faithfulness. While the world's violence is on display, God contends with violence through life by creating communities of belonging, by producing eternal life among us that all may enter into that faithfulness with God, with each other, and participate in that life in solidarity. Jesus did not come to condemn, it says, for God in this way loved the world. God loves the world in life, deeply and intimately with us in death and in conquering the last enemy, which is death. Forgoing retribution, retribution does not mean that God is passive, that God is not concerned with Justice or justness, but God creates justness and faithfulness. And in that encounter, there is still the matter of those who do not come in faithfulness for us to reflect on. But God creates justness and faithfulness in the encounter, in turning our eyes to the snake lifted up. God's cross is not a bridge, but a dwelling with us that we might dwell together in God. It is a coming to be with us that we may have that encounter. However, it reveals who we are and our relationship to that God. And in this way, in this love, in this intimacy and dwelling, we find healing. Back to Kasuke Kayama, uh, he continues his thoughts by reflecting on Jesus' sorrow in the garden before his crucifixion. There he writes, beginning with words of Jesus, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus Christ does not walk over the sorrow on a bridge. He stays on the tribulation, on in the tribulation, and by staying there, he reveals his love to us. The bridge brings a happy ending. Without the bridge, then, Christianity is not a happy ending religion. It does not allow us to walk easily from this side to that side. It asks us instead to remain here and watch and to deepen our practice and understanding of love. So this all may sound a little strange to say in the middle of Lent where we are so often focused on our journey, right? Where discipleship is described as the way. But as we approach Jerusalem, we can also imagine this Jesus as an encounter. Sometimes we must remain here and watch amid the sorrow and the violence and the pain that we might feel. But God shows up as the one who dwells with us amid that. Not as an escape plan, But as one who remains in intimacy, in honesty, in love, as one who creates belonging and faithfulness with us, for it is in this way that God so loved the world. May it be that in this waiting upon and waiting with God in openness and honesty that we find our healing on this journey. Amen.